You're about to hear the Sunday Sermon from the Grapevine Church of Christ in Grapevine, Texas, a family who's devoted to giving our lives to and living our lives for Jesus Christ. If you have any questions about today's lesson, visit us on our website, www.grapevinechurch.com. Thanks for listening. So last week, I wanted to thank Will for doing what you did and saying what you said. If I tell you, there's a video out there somewhere of Will Mosley doing some pretty funny things, and it will probably come out at some point or another, but it was a lot of fun. We had about close to 50 people uh, there at Lone Oak Ranch and Retreat Center. And so what I find fascinating is that even though we were jam-packed, filled with schedules and events and activities, it was restful, believe it or not. And I slept really well every night. And I will tell you that whenever kids aren't playing video games, they are very, very difficult to, to be around. You never notice that? They're always wanting to play and to do things and they're wanting my attention. Um, but what I find fascinating is that when we're all there together and we're eating uh, breakfast and lunch and dinner together, it's great. We're all mixing it up, you know? And some of these people sit on this side and on this side. But at this camp, they were all right there in the middle. And what's, what's great is that there are moments, and I think we do need to kind of get out of our comfort zone and meet each other in the middle. And what we might find is that we actually like to be around each other. We like to be together. Um, thank you for letting us go, by the way. Uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun, but it got me to thinking this week as I was looking at all these people and looking over the pictures and seeing the smiles and, and realizing we were able to worship together and sing and pray and that people, man, they were rested. And it got me to thinking, people, people need rest today. People need rest. So Shelly's dad has been an elder for about, how long, 25 years or so? By the way, we have some good friends that are from Houston. Uh, they just moved to the area and they're visiting. Well, these are not her parents, by the way. <laughs> At the best, they are her younger brother and sister. Is that good? Okay. Um, Shelly's dad is an elder for about 25 years, and it's funny because he is there every Sunday, every Wednesday, every Sunday night. He's always there, and, uh, and he's telling us a story. He said, yeah, the weirdest thing happened. I'm there on the second row listening to Rick preach, and suddenly I wake up, and he's done. <laughs> it was the weirdest thing. I guess I fell asleep. And it's funny because, you know, I see it, by the way, every Sunday. Don't think you're invisible. <laughs> One lady told me, hey, I'm so, I love coming to church because you put my kid right to sleep every Sunday morning. Um, but for him, you know, he just fell asleep and he, it just, it shocked him. I, I guess I need to sleep. Of course, for him, it's a heart issue. <laughs> you, know, you know, he had a heart problem and he's got a pacemaker now, but um, so you can't go to sleep unless it is a verifiable heart issue today. But what I find is that that's true with a lot of us. We are going, 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 and then when we stop, we're going to go some more, and then when we finally do stop, our mind says sleep. We go, 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 sleep. Go, 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 sleep. But is that rest? Sometimes sleep is not rest. So don't think that I'm, when I say the word rest, I'm talking about sleep. 
you know, God created the world in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. didn't say he slept. It says he rested. So today, for the next several weeks, we're going to talk about this idea of rest, especially as we get into summer. I know a lot of your summer schedules are already packed. I know there are already one. They're just packed. Ours is. But I do think that we can find rest in the middle of our schedules. We're going to talk about what rest is, what rest isn't, and why for some of us rest is so elusive. So today, let's start with the end in mind. So open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. I'm sorry, 11. Matthew 11 is where we're going to be. Matthew 11. Now to put this conversation in context here, let's talk for a brief moment about this culture in Israel that Jesus is addressing here. And I know I've talked about this a lot, but I wanted to continue to kind of put that in the forefront of your mind. Um, Israel was first and foremost a theocracy, all right? Uh, Their law was God's law. Now granted, they were occupied and they also had Roman law to abide with. But the law that really mattered, the law that everyone followed, was God's law. And that was what really mattered to them. Follow God's law and maintain a right relationship with him. Now this means that there would have been a lot of pressure on the average Jewish follower of the law. Now there were the big ten. Do y'all, can anybody name all those? That's okay. Let's say there's no murdering. Uh, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Uh, don't covet. Don't commit adultery. Don't lie. Keep the Sabbath day holy. That's a big one. Um, there was severe pressure, severe punishment for breaking any of these Ten Commandments. And they saw what happened to families when somebody broke the law. It was pretty devastating in their history. So what they decided to do at some point is they said, okay, we need to keep people safe from themselves because they're having a hard time with these Ten Commandments. So let's, let's create a barrier around these commandments and let's put some other laws in place because God gave us the law. He gave us Deuteronomy. He gave us Leviticus. A lot, of these, a lot of these individual laws. So let's create more laws that will keep people from reaching the Big Ten. So we're going to remove them from that slippery slope. So if there's the Big Ten, they're going to be way over here. So they decided to create some laws and uh, kind of go from the Scripture and the Torah. And so they invented 613 laws from, from Leviticus, Deuteronomy. They found 613 to keep them from the slippery slope. Now, if you couldn't remember all, 100, all 613, that's okay. There were people there to remind you of what those were with positive and with negative reinforcement. So these are the people that are devoted to the law. These are the Pharisees. These are the teachers of the law. These are the scribes. Uh, These are lawyers. They are lawyers is what they are. So some of these people, they lost sight of what God was doing with the original intent of these Ten Commandments and trying to, to create a holy nation. These people, they started really focusing on these these laws instead of the main idea and they begin to shape the law into their own image and that takes work takes an enormous amount of attention and they did not just do it alone they began to urge others to this life as well and if others didn't listen to them they would pressure them until they did now with this type of pressure this community pressure the culture, it begins to be shaped as well. And pretty soon, 
people, they're simply following the culture without even thinking about it. Now, what does it say in Romans 12.1? Um, the message says don't fit into your culture so much that you don't really think about it. These people were fitting into their culture and they had stopped really thinking about it. So I say all this to let you know that Judaism had become a stressful religion. And many Jewish practitioners, they couldn't even keep up, much less any new converts. I mean, think about that. Oh, you want to become a, a, a Jew? Wonderful. Here's the 613. I'm going over these things last night. I'm, I'm just looking at them. Madeline and Shelly are sitting next to me, and it's funny. There's, that's a lot. 613. This is stressful. And if you had to learn all these and keep them, imagine, imagine you're always watching out, making sure you don't mess up. You know, it's led to a tired, it led to an oppressed culture. Now, when people are trying so hard to live up and keep up to unrealistic expectations, whether it's from your social circle, whether it's of yourself, um, your family, whatever, if, if you're trying to live up to unrealistic social expectations, then exhaustion usually sets in and it manifests itself in strange ways. Anger, depression, judgmentalism, shame. Now, shame and guilt are different, by the way. You know, guilt is saying, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Shame is, guilt is I, I did something wrong, I did something bad. Shame is saying I am bad, I am wrong. Okay? Shame, if you are consistently not meeting up to expectations, you start thinking, I'm not worth anything. I'm awful. God did not create anything good here. You know, judgmentalism, shame, violence, hopelessness, addictions, detachment, apathy, sickness. Exhaustion doesn't just develop because of our lack of sleep. It develops when we try to keep up with an overwhelming and demanding culture. And this is the culture Jesus is talking to. And we're going to read just a few verses here. But as you read it, you'll find this doesn't really sound too different from our own culture. Now, one of the casualties of this lifestyle, this, this constantly keeping up, is rest. Rest is a casualty. People at this time were tired, and they were hopeless. And then, at the end of chapter 11, Jesus, he says this. He says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now remember, if you didn't follow these 613 laws, you didn't just get a ticket, you didn't just get a citation. You weren't just taken to jail. It was worse in some instances. It was not only, in some instances, your life. It was your reputation. It was your eternity, your legacy, your name, your family's future. If you didn't have a name, you did not have any inheritance. If you lost your name, you lost your inheritance. It was your future, your family future. This was what was at risk here. So imagine the pressure building to maintain that life. Now imagine the people that had failed to keep up with their culture. The poor, the immigrant, the sick, the nameless. 
these people, they had never really been able to keep up. Now imagine those people who, who had a lot to lose if they, if they didn't keep up. The Pharisees, the average Jewish family. You know, think about it. There's no possibility uh, for me or my kids to ever realize the blessing of God if we don't know the right people, do the right things. I mean, imagine spending your life's work on trying to get to just the right circle trying to get into just the right environments, doing everything you could to get into God's favor so that your family would be safe and survive, ensuring your legacy, ensuring your future. I mean, imagine running after this for so long and with so much attention, yet it just remained right out of reach. Now imagine you're knee-deep in this lifestyle and someone comes to you and they say, Someone you respect, someone you've seen the power of God, someone you've heard amazing things and you're starting to believe. And they say, come to me and I will give you rest. Rest. Ah, that sounds nice. What is that like? Rest. You know, I haven't had that in quite some time. Rest. You know, God even took a Sabbath, but my Sabbaths are so busy now. I used to rest on the Sabbath, but now I've filled in my rest with just enough busyness that it really isn't rest at all. Just enough work that it's not really work, but it sure isn't rest. But Jesus says, come to me and you will find rest. How? So Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. We're in Texas. You know what a yoke is, right? I mean, okay, so I had a friend, Jake Randall, give me um, help, and he got me a yoke. Here we go. Now, the yoke in Jewish culture is... Twofold when it comes to rabbi and using this as an illustration. Now, this is a typical yoke that we see in Texas. They're a little different. This is for two, uh, whatever is supposed to fit in here. Um, and I honestly don't know if it goes this way or this way. My dad was, I was born in Monahans, but I'm definitely not country. Sorry. So it does not go this way. I know that for sure. But what I do know is that this is pretty heavy. Um, I'm going to put this just right here for us to kind of. Uh, let's put it right here so you can kind of look at it. I know that this is pretty heavy here. And so Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Now, there's a couple of, of ways you can look at this. The first one is that this was an actual yoke Jesus is talking about. But when it comes to the rabbi and how they talk to their people, this is a huge metaphor, an important metaphor. You know, this is one of those times in Scripture when it helps to know the context. It helps to know kind of those idioms, the sayings that they all had and, and, and what they did. Um, it's, it is a yoke, yes. But Jesus was talking about something deeper here. The yoke was this metaphor, and it's a symbol of service and servitude. To the Jewish mind, everyone knew what a yoke was, but they also wore a metaphorical yoke. And that yoke was either the yoke of the kingdom of heaven or the yoke of the kingdom of man. So I was looking through some 
rabbinical works just to kind of figure out about how they thought about this idea of yoke. And this is what it said. Whoever takes upon himself the yoke of the Torah, which is the, the law, they remove from him the yoke of government and the wo- yoke of worldly concerns. And whoever breaks off the yoke of the Torah, they place on him the yoke of government and the yoke of worldly concerns. Which means you're wearing a yoke all the time. You're either wearing the yoke of the kingdom of heaven or the yoke of the kingdom of man. And this mindset was in practice when Jesus was talking here, which means we all are wearing a yoke. If not one, then the other. What does is, what is, uh, Jesus say in Matthew? You cannot serve both God and money. You can insert anything into that money part. You cannot serve both God and it is one or the other. And for the rabbi, the yoke is how they lived out their faith, how they lived out their scriptures, how they saw the law, how they saw it. And, and for most of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, their yoke was attached to a history um, and tradition that had become so heavy to move. In fact, instead of pulling it forward, oftentimes it would be pulling you backwards because they had loaded that, that cart up with so many extra things that didn't really matter. They had, lost, they had lost sight of what was really in there to begin with. Now imagine Jesus says, come, take my yoke upon you. Look at Scripture the way I look at Scripture. Look at God the way I look at God. Live your faith like me with humility and gentleness. Focus on letting others go first. Focus on not demanding your way or, or, or not demanding anything from anyone else. Don't even force people to live a certain way. Let God have control of that. And don't try to keep up with this demanding culture. You won't miss out on anything. Let me lead you. Let me work on the culture through you. He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Now, does that mean it's not, it's not tough or difficult? I don't think so. Jesus is talking about living life in such a way that we are more concerned about what God is concerned about rather than what man is concerned about. When we put on the yoke of Jesus... What's fascinating is that we will find rest. Our spirit within us will find rest. Our souls will find rest. You know that place in you that is most exhausted? With the yoke of Jesus, you will find rest. Now for many of us, I will admit rest is somewhat of an annoyance isn't it we got too much to do too many things demanding our attention don't we and maybe we don't have 613 laws we have to follow but we do have a lot of unspoken ones that keep our attention and our culture if we let it begins to demand more and more and more from us and in the past it only affected us but now it's affecting our children as well The culture is not just demanding from us. The culture is demanding from our kids. And sometimes we just give our kids right over to it. Because there are really social expectations that need to be met. And really, 
these demands are quite exhausting, aren't they? Sometimes we wear that with a badge of honor, our busyness and our exhaustion. But our exhaustion today leads to the exact same outcome that I spoke of earlier. And oftentimes we look for rest in temporal things, like sleep. We think seven hours is perfect. But how many times do we go to sleep thinking and our minds are just filled and exhaustion takes us, we sleep, we wake up, they're still filled. Sleep is not rest all the time. We look for rest in our vacations. Sometimes those make us even more exhausted, especially if they're to Disney for two weeks. <laughs> yeah, there's laughter. Sometimes we look for rest in buying or in selling or doing, and yet oftentimes we find ourselves now more exhausted than ever. Ancient philosopher Thomas Aquinas, he said, I'm paraphrasing, if you always look for rest in temporal things, those things that are temporary, um, then those things are the things that are going to begin to weigh you down. They'll become even heavier. We start to rest in temporal things and it becomes more about consumption, about consuming. What can I do now to rest? What can I do now to rest? So my question is this. In our busy and our demanding culture, where do we turn for rest? And the question I've asked myself this week, and it's been a hard one, is how often do I turn to Jesus for rest? So the last question I'm going to ask you, or the last series, what is it that's wearing you out? What is it that is exhausting to you? What's making you tired? What is it that you're consistently worrying about? That is the yoke you're wearing. What is it that's making you exhausted? That is your yoke. Is it heavy? So over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about rest. We're going to be talking about how to put on the yoke of Jesus and how that, that change, that yoke, affects every part of our life. But the hard thing is that putting on the yoke of Jesus means we have to take off the yoke that we currently wear. But once you do, I am confident that you'll find that the yoke that Jesus has come to offer is going to be lighter, easier, and more restful than you could have imagined, regardless of your situation, whether good or bad in your life. We're summertime people now. <laughs> We've got a few months where we're supposed to find rest before we hit it again in the fall. This summer, let's take some time to figure out how we can put on the yoke of Jesus so that our souls can find rest. You've been listening to Grapevine Church of Christ. Subscribe to the Sermon Podcast and to our other Grapevine Church podcasts to hear special behind-the-scenes content. For more information, visit our website, www.grapevinechurch.com.